Everybody and welcome to the 158th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is always looking to broaden your horizons. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka an MTG critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. We're uh, dre- wading our way through one last week of winter on this side of the lake. I assume it's roughly the same over there. I'm heading to Hawaii to go surfing next week. Mm. So I'm just sitting inside all week, getting caught up on work, doing MTG finance stuff, of which there is plenty to do right now. Well, you, um, well, you timed it wrong. You were supposed to go to Hawaii this week because this is a cold week. Basically, I, I wait as long as I can during the winter before I break and flee the hmm. frozen, nor- frozen north of, of Canada, um, even though I'm in the southernmost tip of the country. <laughs> um, yeah, so a little surfing going down next week, so I guess we'll probably have Cliff on cast um, doing a little guest hosting. Oh, okay. That'll be fun. Care about the, the, str- the struggle. Um, <laughs> Yeah, nothing terribly exciting on this end, uh, other than other than magic, which is obviously exciting. Uh, MTG Fast Finance. You know what I enjoy most about this is that I don't read any of the copy until we are recording. <laughs> MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic: The Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. It's actually not bad. 5% yep. off. Very solid. All listeners of the podcast getting a very generous 5% off. It doesn't stack with other coupons, but a really good way to save a little money on anything that's just sitting around at the CoolStuffInc.com store. Um, our very proud to have Cool Stuff and their fantastic team on board as the sponsor, official sponsor of the MTG Fast Finance podcast for the foreseeable future. Cool. That's very exciting for all of you. Uh, I mean, having a promo code available to plug in is good because every time I go buy something online and I don't have a promo code, I'm frustrated. I'm like, there's got to be something I could put in here. I used it about eight minutes after we got it. Um, and then we posted it to the Discord for the Pro Traders, and somebody else reported that they spent like 100 bucks pretty much immediately. Wow. Um, a- after which I tagged Evan Ehrman and said, hey, look, it works. Yeah, I was going to say, did you immediately let Cool Stuff Inc. know, hey, we just made you $100? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, our uh, our episode this week, I'm going to foresee your question of what's on our agenda this week, and I'm just going to tell you what's on our agenda this week. It's oh, good, because I was wondering. Yeah, it's segment one, our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have risen the most in price this week. Looks like quite a long list. You went deep on this one here. Some of these are questionable. Segment- wait, 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 wait till we get to my picks. All right, segment two. Yeah, I, I noticed that. Segment two, our cards to watch. James has five cards he wants to talk about. I have two, but I have to do this every week in my article too, so I, I save them. Segment three is our better <laughs> game we can review. Uh, GPLA uh, was modern GP, uh, soon to be irrelevant. And segment four, our topic of the week, 
Modern Horizons, we got two spoilers, uh, but the more relevant information was probably in what they told us about it rather than the cards we saw. Unless you are unless you are surprised by the fact that white will have flyers, so <laughs> let's get started uh, so we can get through everything this week. Segment one: our top movers, uh, the fall version of Mishra's Factory from Antiquities, so non foils, of course, uh, one hundred and ten up to about one hundred thirty five, so picked about twenty five bucks. James wrote Modern Horizons on here. I think you got a, a bit of a correlation is not causation thing going on, but uh, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, I suppose. Yeah, I went a little deeper on the list. Usually we go down to like 50% plus gainers, but I added several that I thought were worth um, highlighting because of the talking points associated with them. Mistress Factory is a card that might be okay for Modern. I'm a little dubious about what what kind of decks pop up when you have four Mutavault, four Mishra's Factory, but there's so much brokenness going on in the format that I think Factory is safe. And the thing is, it's pretty rare that you find a card in Modern that could be suddenly widely played, um, even if it's in t- like Tier 2, Tier 3 decks at like FNMs or whatever, um, that has a reserved list era printing. And more than that, four printings one for each season of the year which were already being driven up by just the modicum of like old school demand and collector demand cards not on the reserve list um but most of the version two i think two the winter is like a few hundred dollars fall is the second most popular and then spring and summer have varied in the 50 to 100 dollar range for a while i think um but if mistress factory is printed into modern then the original versions are going to skyrocket because there will be far more demand than there will be cards. Well, should this end up in modern, I agree the prices on all of these things will go pretty wild. Uh, it is possible that these make it. I, I don't see it being impossible. I just we have no information whatsoever that that's what's going to happen is all. Yeah, it's the triangulation of cards that are sort of not good enough for legacy and vintage but are in those formats and are not too good for modern that have templating that can that works or can be updated to work um using modern design philosophy and that aren't carrying any weird keywords or whatever so i think like cards like for instance steely resolve that gives your creature shroud are much less likely to get printed into modern horizons because <clears throat> these days we use hexproof um, whereas something like Mishra's Factory, arguably that's a card that could get printed today. Um, probably too good for standard, but the yeah, templating on it is fine. It's a pretty potent card because yeah. for, for for our less familiar listeners, you turn one Mishra's Factory into a 2-2. And then you attack with it. And then if they, whatever blocks they may or may not make, you can use your other factories to buff it as appropriate, which makes, so it's just onboard tricks, which is really annoying. Also, if you manage to give it vigilance, it can buff itself and it becomes a three, three. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a three, three on card. Blocks. You can also just block and buff, right? You don't need yeah, that. Yeah. You can do that. You can uh, block and buff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion because Mutavault doesn't have the buff, but does have the tribal synergies. So certain decks will certainly prefer to have Mutavault at all times. Um, but other colorless-related decks might be interested in 
artifactry. It's kind of weird because in a lot of cases, you kind of want a flying artifact creature. <laughs> Excuse me. So like, for instance, Ink Moth Nexus or Blink Moth Nexus um, in Affinity decks or Inect decks um, have traditionally been of more interest. It's not entirely clear to me where, you know, 2-2 two, two attackers, 3-3 three, three blockers uh, are of particular use in modern right now. So it's possible that even if it gets reprinted, demand profile might be still pretty mild. But because Old School was already driving these prices up, any amount of additional demand probably helps the original printings. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that ultimate thesis. Uh, and I, I mean, it's fair enough to just point out that there's some excitement here, you know, just based on what we know about Horizon. So we can leave it at that. Um, and, and and worth pointing out that as with many modern master sets where people have said, well, this, 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 and this, and this are, are due for a reprint, we have frequently been disappointed and only a small sliver of those cards ever actually make it into the set. Now, I'm pretty sure that we're looking at something like a 60-40 split or something, if I heard them speaking on, on the reveal stream correctly, where I think something like 40% of the cards are reprints pre-modern or from the mod, the postmodern era, but from sets like Commander or Conspiracy or whatever um, that have not been a modern before. And then the rest will be new cards completely. So we'll see how that plays out um, as we get a little closer to that preview season, which, um, as we're going to discuss later, is quite a ways down the road. Um, in the article that I posted on MGG Price over the weekend... Um, I outlined what I think the overall impact of Modern Horizons is going to be. And this next card on our list highlights one of the other opportunities of the three that I listed, um, which were uh, the new cards that are being printed, uh, the old cards that are being printed, specifically the original printings of said same, and uh, the third would be the things that can't be printed because they've told us that there are no reprints from within Modern in the set other than five basic lands. So... Not surprising then that some pretty key staples like Misty Rainforest and Scalding Charn have been hitting new highs. Um, Misty Rainforest from MM17 going from 53 to 65 for a 22% gain. I would think pretty much all the fetch lands across the board are going to see gains over the next three to six months because the only set where they can possibly get reprinted is now known to have zero reprints. Which means, and that probably, and it, it's almost certain that if we're getting Modern Horizons in June, Whatever happens in the late summer or early fall is not going to be related to modern. It is unlikely to have fetch land reprints. So there's a really big gap here where a bunch of modern staples have room to grow. You're basically uh, blowing up our entire segment two here already. It's so deep. We got way more to go into on that one. Uh, all right. So you were talking about Mystery and Forest. Did you mention Earth and Third card up here? All right. So next up is Gemstone Caverns out of Time Spiral, non-foils, 25 to 30. Um, you've got new mulligan rule written down here, which is probably pretty fair. Uh, remember the new mulligan rule. Now when you mulligan, you drop the seven, no matter what, and then you kind of pick and choose what cards you keep in your hand. So cards like gemstone caverns, uh, are rewarded handsomely because now instead of just drawing three cards and hoping you find it, you draw seven and then you can keep it as part of your three card hand. I can speak to this being real because I sold out of like six gemstone caverns, this week, including two foils and a hundred dollars a piece. Woo. So people, yeah, people are on that train. And the nice thing about that is you could restock those in Europe right now for 60 or 70. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any funds left at the moment, but I did notice that. 
Um, then Deep Glow Skate, uh, Commander's Anthology, two non-foils, about 8 to 10. Um, also partly on the War of the Spark hype train. Uh, you can probably attribute some of that to me because I remember last week or the week before I mentioned that I bought out Star City, I think it was, at um, like 750 or something like that, a copy, 7 bucks, 8 bucks. Yeah, and, and, and as cool and clever as we are picking all these Planeswalker-related cards when everybody now knows there's a Planeswalker set coming, um, I think we attribute at least some of this action to the market as a whole. I mean, we're trying to point out cards that are likely to rise, but it, anybody who's plugged into Magic can now has enough information to start acting, and we're seeing the market um, dive in on the cards that they think might be good come April. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then Planar Bridge out of Aether Revolt foils 8 to 11, so a small move here. Uh, looks like they were talking about this on Command Zone. Any particular reason you are choosing to highlight this card this week just because i think i think it's a card that like so many of the cards in kaladesh um was underestimated because it wasn't relevant for constructed play at the time didn't make a splash in standard or in modern um and those are the cards that that are going the cards like that that don't really figure into those formats but that are destined to do something in commander and casual um that often get overlooked and end up giving really great entry points um, near peak supply of the set in question. And, you know, I think a lot of people overlook Planar Bridge, Planar Bridge Masterpieces, Planar Bridge Foils. I think the non-foils are less exciting overall. But, you know, every time a major YouTube channel or content creator features this card, which is going to happen over and over again because it fits into a bunch of big mana colorless decks in EDH, um, you're going to see, you know, this this card continue to push up. I think that, I don't even think it's a sell at this point. Like if foils are 11 or 12, you can hang out for another six months to 12 months, and it's probably going to be a $20 card. Okay. It seems fair. I mean, I don't disagree. I think it's well-positioned. I just It's a small percentage gain, uh, smaller than we usually jump on. But that's totally fair observation. We probably could have put this in a in segment two archives to watch at any point over the last couple of months. It's pretty funny that in, in this list, given that we need to pare it down every week, and, and frankly, cards over 20% this week, there was like 100 mm-hmm. in Magic. Like, we could we could do this all night. Um but it's it is amusing that in in most markets, if you're talking about the stock market, for instance, a stock that moves you know forty percent in a week would be a pretty big deal, like a really big deal. Um, but if a car if a card moves forty percent, we're like, well, that's good, but it's it's not four hundred percent good. Yeah, because a stock moving forty percent in a week, you could have you know a hundred grand in. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty hard to have a hundred grand in planar bridges. Granted, um, so. Baleful Strix is the next card on the list from uh, Plane Chase was the, the original printing, I believe. And mm-hmm. it's been a, a quasi-staple in, in Legacy for quite some time. Um, the idea here, you know, seeing movement from 5 to $7 is just that this is another card that looks very likely to post up in Modern Horizons. This is the kind of card that is about the appropriate power level for Modern. It is a very efficient creature. 1-1 um, Death Touch for a blue and a black, and it draws a card when you come into play. So... It's in, into play, right? Not on death. Yeah, it's into play. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a really good creature, but seems like that will work out. Um, doesn't it doesn't probably makes Tezzeret decks worth another look, like some of the Thopter Sword type decks that have been lur- lurking on the fringes and have occasionally poked their head up. Um, I, I have a feeling that this card gets reprinted. It's not clear to me that the original copies are going to hold uh, a special value, but 
there it was reprinted a, uh, once in EMA, and I think those those being the only foil printings, especially if this if the reprint gets new art, original foils, you know, may hold a higher price tier. I, I suspect that we probably will see very little new art on reprinted cards simply because they're putting all their a lot of their art budget into the new cards, right? They'll probably re-art the crummy looking reprints. But Baleful Strix is pretty cool actually. People really like that. So I don't know why they would change it. Um I actually the art's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually dislike this generally as a spec but especially foil, simply because if the foil was like really old, that'd be one thing, but it's EMA. Right, it's very recent. So the gap, you know, the difference between the EMA foil and the Horizons foil is going to be minimal. So, I mean, I guess maybe the foil goes up because now there's just a lot more people that want copies of it, and the, you know, that's fine. But I think on the long term, on a longer term scale, they balance the, out. The foils have also been drying up, so I think we can both agree that if you're holding, you probably just want to sell into that like interest spike. And then wait to see if 12 months from now at peak supply for Modern Horizons, you've got cheap foils lying around. Yeah. Because if it, if it shows up in a deck in Modern where it's a four of, uh, keeping in mind that this is probably going to be reprinted as an uncommon, not a rare, um, the foils will probably crash. And then you'll have a chance to decide whether it's something you want to push into based on how much play it's seeing. You think they're going to put Balthal Strix at uncommon? Yeah. Hmm. In a in a modern power level set, keep in mind there, we'll get to this in the in the final segment. But there's a lot about this set that is going to throw people for a loop and makes evaluating the various choices associated with it pretty tricky. Okay, counterspell Jace foils out of Super Saiyan Jace. Is that what that is? Spellbook series Jace. Uh, <laughs> Super Saiyan SSJ. Jace. I, that, that card would sell well. It would. Uh, foils, which is the only. No, that does come in non foils, but foils 10 to 14. People are hoping that Counterspell will be in Modern Horizons. I guess maybe doesn't even yeah. seem like it would be a huge deal. Um, but well, there's, I think there's also a zillion Counterspell printings, so like, eh, whatever. Yeah, we made a list of like the versions of Counterspell that are likely to be most desirable if Counterspell is printed in the format. A, I think. I'm pretty convinced it is going to be in Modern Horizons. B, I think it's going to be the buy box promo. So whatever that looks like. And it's not, it wasn't clear to me whether the buy box was confirmed foil, but I think it probably will be. Um, so if it's foil and it's got great art, then that, you know, disrupts whatever list you're looking at. But, and and then things like Marcadian Mass foils, 7th edition foils, and the um, Signature Spell series, Jace foils, um, are probably going to see medium demand i would expect things like beta counter spells to hit immediate new highs because folks serious competitors and you know folks that are into acquiring old cards um or have like vast collections are already interested in alpha and beta counter spells and a guy like lsv is not going to hesitate to snap off four beta counter spells if suddenly they're playable in modern and i think that you only need about a hundred people to make that decision before that card spikes hard. So if you're looking for a target to buy list into this month, I think you could do a lot worse than beta counter spell. Hmm. I haven't checked the prices on it, but I, that's probably not a, not a bad direction to go. And I mean, really, even if it's not in modern horizons, there are still beta counter spells. Those are still pretty well positioned. You can just sit on them exactly. until modern horizons too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, after that, Primordial Sage out of uh, Ravnica. Well, you screwed up my formatting on this column. Aha! 
Primordial Sage foils out of Ravnica 20 to 30. Uh, was on Brainstorm Brewery with our pal Jason. Uh, uh, definitely a popular card for Nikia of the Old Ways, the new commander out of the latest Ravnica set, which doesn't allow you to play non-creature spells. So this is a good way to get card draw going in a deck that's just dumping a lot of creatures into play. Primordial Sage has been out there forever. It's from the original Ravnica. Kind of surprised foils were as cheap as $20. Um, so this is probably going to look decent, you know, 30 bucks. I'm sure it'll probably hold that price. It might even get up to, I guess even $40 now that there's a new venue of demand. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't mind getting out of these, especially at this point, because it's been so long since we've seen it. It's easy to reprint this card. Um, we're not getting it in modern horizons, I guess. So you can probably hold off a little while while you let the foil inventory drain a little harder, but I think it'll show up eventually. I have a greater sense of urgency just over the fact that I think Nikki of the Old Ways is a cool commander, but is likely to be medium popular. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a bunch of sexy new commanders between War of the Spark and uh, Modern Horizons. And because of that, um, I would want to... I, I think I picked up like a small handful of these in Europe that are coming over with my package next week. And I will be looking to exit on them pretty much immediately. Like while Nikia, people are still building, building their Nikia decks. Yep. Uh, another card that's coming over in that package, Edgar Markov from commander 2017. These are the foils that were included with the pre-constructed decks, making a move from five to eight. Um, it's 60% gain, not super exciting. Um, but I was, I think I was picking up copies at, 350 or something overseas and i suspect that this will be on buy list for something near 10 within the year and it'll be a buy list play um we see this again and again the the good cards that have staying power in commander that come out in the commander decks are all essentially mythics because they are one ofs in the decks they are not easy for vendors to restock once those decks leave shelves because you basically have to crack a deck to get one which is not something they're going to do unless they want unless the, the the deck as a whole um, has a growing EV. And players don't tend to pass them in, in in bulk because if they buy the deck, they're probably intending to play and uh, and upgrade the deck, in which case they want to keep Edgar. Um, now, the decks do come with three commanders, so sometimes you might choose to go a different route with one of the other two. Um, but overall, that's still... You know, there's no drafts of the commander product where the limited player then takes their cards over to the counter and tries to rebuy into a draft and so on and so forth. Just the dynamics are completely different with the commander sets. And so we have seen repeatedly ever since Commander 2013, about two or three years out from when a, from when good cards come out of those sets, they tend to be significant gainers. Yeah, but they also, I completely agree, they also reprint the more popular ones because uh, the tracks that got reprinted right, that's what they've been doing with the Commander Anthology series. And I'm pretty sure Edgar was the most popular out of that set. Relatively confident. Um, so I would not be surprised at all to see Edgar come back. If not in this but, year's Commander Anthology product, then soon. Yeah, probably not till 2020 or 2021 or 2022, because Commander now goes back to 2013, and they've only done two anthologies. It's not clear they're doing them every year. And um, Edgar just came out in 2017. They, so I think it's pretty unlikely he gets a reprint in 2019. Oh, uh, what is the latest Commander? Uh, Commander Anthology. I'm not going to look this up right now, but I, I don't remember whether the Commander Anthologies include the previous year because it's been like one, one from no, each year never. or something. Yeah, it, it's never been the previous year. I not don't the think. previous year. Okay. The, which makes sense, right? I mean, the, the, if the product is fresh, you don't need to reprint it. You want to go back to stuff that 
you know, like Kali of the Vast that people are dying to get their hands on where Heavenly Inferno was up over $100. Right, right, right. Actually, I think it was closer to two. Yeah, I actually sold one of those. I had a sealed one. I ordered the Scavenging Ooze pre uh, Commander deck, the one that had Scavenging Ooze in it, for like 50 bucks from Amazon. So this is a while ago. This was like right after they came out. And they sent me the Heavenly Inferno one instead, and I got annoyed that they sent me the wrong one, but they're pretty much the same price. So I just let it go. And then I just threw heavenly in front of my closet. And then like six years later, somebody bought it for like $180. And it's like, Hey, that's pretty cool. There you go. Sit on sealed product for eight years. Get paid. Yeah. Uh, Tempest Jin from Dominaria moving from 225 to 350 uh, for $1.25 gain 55%. That's nothing that we care about. Um, except that blue won the pro tour um, at Cleveland. And Blue Tempo looks uh, like it has staying power in the format. Um, so all of the cards in the deck are under some degree of pressure. And if you have these just lying around, buy lists are probably fairly generous versus retail. And this is the kind of stuff you want to be, sh- you know, shipping off or trading in to get stuff, uh, you know, some of the specs that we're going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. Get rid of that ASAP. Because um, it's, you know, the perfect example of a great standard card that's not going to have a future past the format. No. Uh, on the heels of that, Mox Amber, uh, non-foils, Dominaria, 10 to 16 or so, War of the Spark type because it's going to have a bunch of Planeswalkers, which are legendary, which makes your Mox Ambers work. Uh, no surprise to see this here. We talked about this during spoiler season for Dominaria where they showed Mox Amber and James and I were on the same page and said, this probably won't do anything out of the gate. And if it doesn't, the price will drop and then you should buy it because it's probably a seed for a future set. I also talked about it back on episode 140 about 18 weeks ago where I said, hey, they're like seven or eight bucks now and about 30 for foils. Probably time to start thinking about grabbing these because these uh, should be at their nadir. And lo and behold, here we are with Moxie Amber spiking. So don't say we (laughs) didn't warn you. We picked it twice when it didn't have a reason to, to be good. Then we picked it again when we found out what War of the Spark was about, and it did have a reason to be good. We still aren't convinced that it will be good. No. Um, and as a result, if you were in at five, six, seven dollars, um, when we told you to earlier, um, buy lists uh, are on the rise. I'm not sure if they've really caught up where, with where things are at right now. Have you looked at Abu or CK or Cool Stuff Inc. to see what they're offering currently? No, no, I haven't bothered to go do all the research. Let me see. I, I do think you're pretty much selling Mox Amber regardless here, if only because Dominaria rotates this fall. So keep in mind, by the time War of the Sparks is on the shelves, we're in like, what do we say, mid-May, early May, which is pretty late in the standard season. So you've got about five months from the time from the time War of the Spark comes out to the time Dominaria rotates, which, uh, you know, historically... The last couple of years, you see standard staples really start to deflate in like February, March, um, heading into the rotation season. So even if Mox Amber is awesome and standard, it's kind of only awesome through essentially a dead season, right? Because it's like unless you're going to a standard GP, what do you really care? Uh, So just keep that in mind that it's, you know, get off that train real quick. Yeah, I, I, it, it's weird, right? Because if it's good, if it is actually good in War of the Spark standard, then this card could easily top 20. Um, might even be thir- a $30 card. 
But as you said, it's going to rotate shortly thereafter. So where does that leave us? Yeah. And then you're gambling on it being good enough for that. So Cool Stuff is offering eight. Uh, the fine folks over at Abu are offering nine, which after multiply that by about 0.7 is a little probably a little worse than Cool Stuff. And over on Car- uh about the same. So I think that you're out here to try to set play, sell play sets on social media um, is going to be your best net result. Um, but if you've got a really big set of them sitting around, you might want to fiddle with the buy list once they get a little higher. I think like, I don't think players are really thinking too hard about War of the Spark yet. Like everybody goes, oh, yeah, it's a Planeswalker set. That's cool. But not everybody has sat down to figure out what cards they're going to need because that's going to take place once we get closer to spoiler season. Um, once we've got a week of spoilers under our belts, that's probably when you want to be checking in on the buy list. Yeah, that first big spoiler from Rosewater uh, or whomever where you see the two mana walker, you know, whatever piece of information it, it will be. It'll be it'll be early in spoiler season, I think, with somewhere oh. within the first week. Oh, I, I, correction. Card Kingdom is offering 10 cash, 13 credit. So that's, that's pretty solid. Already pretty good if you got in at six or seven. If I had more than three play sets, I might be inclined to just send them there. I'd try, you know, maybe try it on social media or whatever. And if you can't get any bites, just ship it in for the credit and move on with your life. And I think in this case, it's actually foils are probably going to be harder to move than non-foils. Because um, yeah. foils do a lot better in formats that last. Like yeah. Standard foils are not are a thing. We see standard foils move when a card is particularly popular. Um, but you really would like to know that this had a home in modern and or EDH before you'd want to be too deep on foils. So if the, you know, you get a chance to exit on those, that's probably a bigger priority than the nons. All right. All right. Let's get this moving. We are not even halfway through segment one and it is already quarter after 10. So astro slide out of onslaught foils, 450 to eight people hope this is going to be in modern horizons. Uh, sure. Maybe I don't know if that's good enough, even if it is. I actually, I actually think the cycling deck might be too good. Uh, between if they gave us Astro Slide and Lightning Rift, um, and the Onslaught uh, cycling lands, um, those especially because they cycle well, for one mana. Sure. Um, <laughs> between between those and all of the cyclers in Amonkhet block, you might have something there. Maybe. I guess the question is: is if you're going to put a bunch of cyclers in your deck, do you want the path to be Astro Slide, or do you just want a living end people? Uh, I don't have the because remember you can cast Astrotold for three mana too, which is what Astral Slide costs. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lightning Lightning Rift. <clears throat> I'm sure you played with back in the day. Does a lot of damage really quickly if there's a bunch of one mana cyclers in your deck. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't doubt it. It'll be curious to see. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be good enough. Whatever. Uh, what's next? Perplexing Chimera was featured prominently in a key moment in the latest Command Zone uh, uh, YouTube video. So not particularly surprising to see those foils double up from two to four not the kind of thing you're probably holding nor going to be able to exit from so moving right along grim hero specs from ktk foils went from two to four uh that's a hold i think uh taste at edh i believe in more than say nikia um for the mid to long term and those will probably end up in the six to ten range when all is said and done next one is really sexy land grant foils from arcadian masks moving from $12 to 24 for the double up because of how hot this tech is in Teamer Phoenix for Legacy. So 
in Arclight Phoenix decks and Legacy, you want to be playing a, playing a really low land count. And what Land Grant says is that if you have no lands in your hand, um, you can basically go get a forest out of your deck and put it in your hand. So if you get one of the draws that doesn't have any lands, you can go get like a tropical island to cast a careful study and then drop a whole bunch of phoenixes in your graveyard and go off. It is uh, some sweet tech uh, buoyed by Jerry Thompson commenting on Twitter that it was sweet tech. I'm sure that helps its profile considerably. Yeah, the the, the deck finished like 19th or something. We'll talk about what it talk about it more when we get to the uh, tournament results um go over more of the list but yeah single printing card only one set of foils they were already fairly rare so it didn't take much for them to tip over yeah um this next one is connected to the gemstone caverns mulligan rule thing serum powder likewise helps you sculpt hands in modern so people are betting that this card will uh, see an increased demand profile. It's been printed twice in uh, Darksteel and again in Iconic Masters. Darksteel copies going from 250 to 5 for 100% gains and uh, Iconic Masters also 100% from 150 to 3. Um, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but uh, in short, I don't think this one's done yet. Okay. Uh, Oath of Nyssa foils we called out a few weeks ago. Uh, episode 155 it was one of my picks and consequently this thing just went from five to twelve dollars that's 140 percent gain minus fees if you choose to get out now but there's no way they're reprinting this going into war of the spark so i think you just go ahead and hold these because i expect they will be very popular come late spring they certainly are well positioned for that there's gonna be so many walkers and so many Collar combinations that are going to be looking good uh othinus is going to be popular anywhere you're playing planeswalkers which is gonna be a lot of places i i you know i don't have i haven't i haven't looked but i do wonder if even the non-foils are going to be well positioned um because that's going to be all the casuals who love planeswalkers but hate foils might be headed in that direction buying places oath and nissa to play at their kitchen table there's only 60 vendors on tcg with non-foil copies of oath and nissa and this is only in oath of the gatewatch there's no other re- reprints there's a pre-release but that's foil so i you pick Almost might be non-foil Oath and Nissa's here on this snooze. Hmm. I think both are probably pretty well positioned, and I could see that being a buy list play for sure. Yeah. Next on our list, we got Haven and the Spirit Dragon Foils, which was my pick last week, moving from 5 to 12. This is predicated on my belief, call it inside info, with a little bit of intuition added that we're getting a pretty sweet new Dragon Commander in War of the Spark. Um, and probably an Ugin since we saw uh, his face pop up in the trailer video, and that card interacts with both. So uh, we'll see if that one pans out a little further down the road. Um, we mentioned counter cool counterspell copies earlier. Counterspell foils from Arcadia Mass went from 18 to 50, if you believe that. Um, I would be selling those for sure because I don't rank the masks copies as uh, the top five most desirable foils. Oh, okay. It's a big, uh, big call. Well, I think it's probably like seventh judge promo. Um, some people will like the invocations just because it's the masterpiece version of the card. Um, beta, as I said, and like Spellbook Jace is probably one of the better looking ones. Okay. And it's one of the cheaper ones too. Okay. Uh, what else you got for us? Blue Sun Zenith foils from uh, Mirrodin Besiege going from six to 18. This is the Sultai Reclamation deck, Wilderness Reclamation uh, in modern has been posting additional five O lists on magic online. Um, deck looks real. 
And uh, one of the ways that they can kill you is with Blue Sun Zenith um, because they can generate a ton of mana and they can use mystical teachings to keep go- getting going to get Blue Sun Zenith and hitting you over and over again. That's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. After that is Stormscape Familiar foils out of uh, Plane, plane Shift, uh, Planar Chaos, $1.50 to 6 Uh I'm really angry about this. There was a <laughs> Popper PTQ. Uh, the reason I'm angry about this is a guy I know messaged me like six months ago and said there's going to be a popper PTQ and I told him to get out of here. I'm like, there's no way they would ever did that, do that. And they did it. And I'm angry. Because <laughs> they are not going to do it. An- they're not going to do another one. They only did this one just to make sure that I was wrong. <laughs> to placate the, the popper community. Wizards. They, like, I literally cannot say Wizards will or won't do this without them ex- immediately doing it. It's just, I mean, at least you're owning your mistake. I didn't make a mistake. It was a dumb decision. They shouldn't have done it. <laughs> it was very popular. Uh, the coverage was well received. Channel Fireball did a good job with it. And as much as we love making money on magic and saving money on magic, um, I definitely do see the value, and I know you do too, of there being a format that is cheaper for folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Bottle Cloister foils out of Ravnica, 22 to 100. Uh, this is a one of, <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a one of in the were of invention lantern list decks you see hanging around, but it's only a, it's only a one of. Um, and this popped a little bit back when this tech first appeared a while ago, a couple months ago. You're not getting a hundred dollars for these foils. Um, I can see this retracing all the way back down to probably like thirty, possibly even maybe a little lower. Um, I mean, it's from Rav, you know, it's from Ravnica, so the supply is low, but like you only need one. And you have to want to play it anyway. I don't know. I don't love it. If people are seeing this price at 100, you go ahead and sell yours in the 50 to 60 range and look like a hero. Yeah. The um, So the tech works like this, right? You, the whole idea is that you want to get rid of your hand so nobody can thought seize you and get rid of the combo you're building up to. It also uh, makes your ensnaring bridge, brings your ensnaring bridge down to zero. Oh, You can right. keep cards, but your ensnaring yeah. bridge still works. Makes sense. All right, so then the apparently top gainer of the week, Guild Summit Foils from Guilds of Ravnica, going from $1.50 to $8. I'm assuming this is on the back of Standard Gates. Um, and there's also been content uh, creators and streamers that have been featuring, I think, modern Gates decks here and there on streams. And maybe people are fiddling around with it for... Um, uh, what is the payoff land that wins you the game if you have 10 Guild Gates? I don't remember the name of it. Whatever that is from the last Ravnica block. Um, huh. It's like tip of my tongue. The whole narrative's about it because they have to run the maze, right? So whatever oh, yeah. it is. Don't, oh, uh, shoot. Now I can see it in my head and I can't think of it either. Yeah, it's weird. Um, anyway, people are fooling around with Gates decks and it's doing re- relatively well in standard. Um, again, if I was holding any foils of these, which I would not have been uh, prescient enough to be doing, but if I was, I would be selling them at $8. Agreed. All right. Segment two, our cards to watch. James, you've got no shortage this week. So pick your spot and get us started. I had 12 picks that I could have put on this list this week. Uh, So we're going to be have plenty of fodder. The the reality is that the current swath of announcements, the next two sets coming out are going to be so good for magic and so good for MGG finance. Consequently, that there is going to be no shortage of activity this spring. And that's not even to mention Mish- Mythic Edition 3. <laughs> so, I'm between- still 
I'm still only giving all of you two picks because you don't deserve more than that. You know. <laughs> all right. So the first one is a bit of a long shot because the deck is definitely still on the fringes. But Narset Enlightened Master Foils from uh, Konzatark here. This is a like low to medium popularity commander. Um, if you're looking to play Jeskai spells and commander, this might be the commander you're looking for. Um, but somebody figured out that if you squeeze this into the Gorio's Vengeance deck in Modern, then you can basically Gorio her out and then combo off all sorts of crazy. Um, and the foils are relatively hard to come by because they were already under, you know, a slow, steady stream of like modest pressure from commander players over the last three or four years. And now here we are in 2019. It hasn't seen a reprint. There's unlikely to be one anytime soon. And the foils have more or less dried up and are at a tipping point. So I think if you grab a couple at 10 bucks and say, wait six to 12 months, you're probably going to get out closer to 20. I mean, yeah, especially if the deck connects, you're in great shape, right? Like if it works, then you get paid super hard. And even if not, you're still in pretty reasonable shape uh, because people are going to continue to run her in EDH and various other modern combo decks. Also, Modern Horizons could pay you in some capacity as she's served well by the Mulligan rule as well. A lot of factors in your favor on this one. <laughs> not to mention, this is, I, I, I'm actually surprised this isn't like super on your radar this seems like the kind of deck you would love the list is as follows emrakul the eons torn for gristlebrand for narset enlightened master for simeon spirit guide that's quite the creature suite the spells include conflux which i guarantee nobody listening can remember what it is we talked about this last week didn't we i'm like nearly positive that we talked about this deck net last week yeah yeah i think i think we went through it quickly the fact that it runs things like omniscience and pull from eternity in the same deck alongside spoils of the vault and fury of the horde i mean this is a pile of cards that just look like you yanked out of a collection you were buying yeah i would play the hell out of this if i was regularly playing modern this i definitely would have sleeved this up and given this a shot no question about it that this runs 12 lands it only has four city of breaths four gemstone caverns and four gemstone mine uh, it's it's good i really i can't i can't i can't give this a bigger thumbs up uh in terms of ridiculous decks i i want to build this myself this just this just every card in this deck is silly yes (laughs) pull from eternity pull from eternity modern legal (laughs) all right so somebody somebody thought seizes you for the first time at fnm with this deck and sees like grizzlebrand conflux enter the infinite lightning axe and pull from eternity (laughs) just eyeballing you like can i count your deck i want to make sure this isn't 99 cards you're like what is going on here? <laughs> anyway so narset i think that's probably going to get there um probably my lowest priority pick of the week okay. i'll say start, but start um if it it's it's probably it's one of these picks where it's going to get there long term no matter what and if you this thing top eights a star city or something then it's going to explode yes i don't disagree with you there uh all right so on the other side of things, more a little more realistic, a little more value-driven, much less fun, uh, Collected Company. Uh, it's currently about 15 16 bucks for a copy of Collected Company. And I'm talking about non-foils, by the way. Let me specify non-foils here. There are uh, 77 vendors with Collected Companies on TCG Player right now. Um, so inventory is is solid, although the ramp up to 20 is pretty short. Even though there are 77 vendors, 
there's maybe 20-ish, 25 before you hit $20. Um, so it moves pretty quickly. But I guess I'm kind of uh, spoiling segment four here. But one of the comments they made about Modern Horizons, and perhaps I think the most important thing that they said, was that there are no reprints of modern legal cards. So every single card that is currently legal in modern cannot be reprinted in Modern Horizons. So that means that anything that was looking kind of juicy already uh, is suddenly a lot better looking. Um, Collected Company is one of those cards. It's an extraordinarily popular spell in the format. Uh, Very powerful. Does great with, obviously, small creatures. We're probably going to get a bunch more small creatures that that might turn this on even better. Um, So, you know, if we're talking about looking at modern staples that are well-positioned heading into a a new set with 250 new cards, uh, we're not going to get a better Collected Company, but we very likely could get a lot of creatures that cost three mana or less that make this appealing so uh, at 16 bucks 15 16 bucks i think this is pretty easily a 30 dollar card um you know within a couple of months of modern horizons release i mentioned a bunch of good picks from modern um that are in the top 20 list and this isn't even in the top 50 but it's one of the pick some of the other Wait, picks can get reprinted into you what collector company's not the top 50 cards in modern anymore no because of where the format is headed. But it is also way too good for standard. So whereas some of the other pick things that are that are great in modern and could be due to rise, but could show up at, in some other set the next six months, um, Collector Company is not one of those, because it's certainly not going to show up in a standard legal set. Um, I, I look at Collected Company as like an engine card. You know, things like Serum Visions and... Uh, Thought Scour, those types of cards are going to be more um, common simply because they're very quick, small utility spells that a lot of people play in modern, but they don't define a deck. So they also don't kind of wax and wane with the format as much either, right? Like Path is still Path no matter what. Collected Company is not that card. If Collected Company strategies aren't great, that does seed from the format, but it also means when it's really good, it comes roaring back and it's like a major component in whatever deck you're playing. So you're, you're right that it's like it's not a top 50 spell today, but it could also turn into like the 12th most played if they give us one or two good creatures. Yeah, and so the thesis here when we're talking about good creatures that could be in Modern Horizons is we're probably talking about something that comes in off a company and disrupts combos, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely like, a good place to to look for it. Like, it, if they have, like, a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three that clears the stack when it comes into play. Yeah. Exile all spells, on, like all spells on the stack when this creature enters the battlefield. You know, that templating doesn't work, but something along those lines. What we're saying is, you're right. Company, Collective Company has open-ended synergy with good creatures. And Modern Horizons is probably going to have a handful of candidates that will make the kinds of players that look at collector company decks, look at their lists again and figure out if there's something they should be doing. Yeah. Okay, I can get with that. Um, so the next one on my list is a commander pick um, that uh, also shows up in mono red living end lists in modern, usually as a two of Urabrask the Hidden Foils. Um, the new Phyrexia originals, I think you want to go after here. Um, pick them up, say, around 12. They have been uh, pushed down a little bit by uh, reprinting, and I think it was Iconic Masters. 
um, but there aren't particularly a particularly deep store of the original foils. And the Mono Red Living End deck is pretty interesting. Um, in modern, Urabrask is a recent innovation, and it's also a pretty popular EDH card overall anyway, um, with 7,000 decks reported on EDH Rec. So definitely no reprint in the foreseeable future. I probably gets another two or three years at least before you see the foils um, show up anywhere. So I, I would pick these up at 12, look to hold for six to 12 months and look to get it out over 20. Okay. I'm on board. Uh, definitely a solid card. Very good in commander. Uh, Haste is generally underrated in commander and Herb Rosk is. Um, I mean, if you've ever been on the other side of a table when somebody resolves this, you know, you're just like, ah, damn it. I can't put anything down to block because it's coming to play tapped. And then their stuff is coming in so much faster. Uh, it is a pretty heavy hitter. Um, so I, I mean, I, I was kind of on board with this before I may reprinting, um, but now that, you know, those foils have kind of hit the market and we're starting to bleed that inventory off, uh, this is definitely looking solid. There's a deck, the deck list I'm referring to is called Electro End, apparently. Uh, and the last version of it I can find on Goldfish is from February 16th, went 6-1 and one in the Modern Challenge. Four Flame Blade Adept, two Insolent Neonate, two Simeon Spirit Guide, three Deadshot Minotaur, four Hollow One, four Monstrous Carabid. Four Street Wraith, three Urobrask, four Desert Ceradon, four Living End, four Faithless Looting, two Cathartic Reunion, four Electro Dominance. And this is uh, interesting because we see Faithless Looting setting up deck after deck after deck that wants to use the graveyard. And there's a lot of talk. The latest chatter for the card that must be banned in Modern is Faithless Looting. And the question I have about that is, are they actually willing to ban a card that invalidates three or four decks at once? Faithless, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they are because they're going to say that it doesn't invalidate it. It just takes a cog out. Like there are replacements for faithful suiting. They're just not as efficient. Like for instance, cathartic, cathartic cathartic reunion. Reunion, right? Like you can play that and there's uh there's other cards too that'll accomplish something similar. So th- I think that they're, they're actually very comfortable with that because it's not a, it's it, even though it hits multiple decks, it's not a mandatory component of the synergy in the same way that like I, I would KCI also- would be. I would also argue that the Modern Horizons announcement sets a new precedent. Now that we know that they're willing to print cards directly into the format, I think it also means they're much more willing to ban cards because they can line it up with reprinting a fixed version. Man, you know what I would really like to see? I would like to see Modern Horizons paired with like a 15 card ban list because I'm a little worried that this is... I I don't like the idea of powering up Modern even further and making it faster. It feels already so fast and like... It's it's got got a real ships passing in the night problem right now I think uh, and I would love to see them kind of go after a couple decks just to just to and maybe not even decks but just a couple cards to slow the format down while you're dumping other powerful stuff in they're not going to but yes you're right they could be more aggressive with what they ban if they're also planning on giving you something that fills a similar role but in a more fair way afterwards. So they could print Faithful Looting, one red sorcery. That's a white card. Faithful uh, Looting is a white red card. So, okay. Yeah. So it's it's a white red card. Draw two cards, discard two cards, and then remove a card from your graveyard. Well, uh, yeah, I just meant because of the name Faithful Looting, but. Anyway, so. Less Faithful Looting. <laughs> sure. 
So give me your next pick. <laughs> no, I want to come up with different ways that they can make a fixed faithful looting. Unfaithful, unfaithful looting, Un- obviously, is the black sure, one. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, faithful, faithless, wait, what is it? It's faithless looting, right? So faithless uh-huh. borrowing. Uh, it's the blue yeah. one. So I don't know. We could do this all night. Uh, Not well, but we could yeah, do it. exactly. It's similar to, okay, co- similar to Collected Company. I'm looking at Death Shadow. Um, and I know this is a favorite of yours too, and you've got a couple foils you're sitting on. Probably, probably yep. thinking about holding wow. those a little bit at the moment because this is yep. uh, another top creature in modern. Part of the, obviously the Grixis Delver, or you know the Grixis Shadow and various Shadow builds that are floating around. Potentially one mana thirteen thirteen. Prices are around sixteen dollars right now. Same as Collected Company. I also like these up around thirty dollars. Uh, essentially this is a, one of the most potent creatures in the format right now. Uh, you know, it's up there with Arclight Phoenix and you're, if they're adding 260 new cards to modern, it's going to power up the format and speed it up. And a one mana creature is definitely a well positioned to be a part of that strategy, right? Like a six mana creature, a five mana creature, eh, that's going to be harder to get into play when you're adding all this raw power and speed of the format but that shadows one mod doesn't get any cheaper so given that supply is quite low across both copies i think there's like 50 vendors total between both printings um so supply isn't that deep and that you know that includes all the foils as well and foreign languages i think that shadow is looking pretty good coming into this modern horizons announcement yeah and the thing is that it has waxed and waned but death shadow continues to put up toppings the not the least of which is this uh, top eight this weekend at Grand Prix Los Angeles, which had almost 1,600 players. Um, and Death Shadow finished, I believe, fifth um, in the Grixis configuration, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yes, it was the Grixis configuration um, with the team or battle rages. So fairly similar to the version that was you know, doing really well when Death Shadow was being talked about as the card that needed to be banned two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was... People were real worried about that card for it was like three or four months that it looked like it was going to get the axe. Yeah, but in the same boat as Collected Company and many other cards, um, an opportunity is wide open now because vendors and players both know that these all of the cards that are currently modern are not seeing a reprint for six months, which means the door is wide open for games. I mean, it's okay. Well, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. All right, you got three more. Uh, why don't you bang through them for us? Yeah, so I think Goblins is going to get some cool reprints. Um, Star City Games has been posting video content um, on their Twitch stream um, where uh, SCG pros have been running through potential decks in modern that would make use of previously unavailable cards. One of the things they did uh, uh, over on channel Fireball, likewise, was I think Matt Sperling and another player whose name I forget, were trying out goblins like how good would goblins be if you gave them like goblin lackey um or ringleader or whatever and the version that they ran didn't do that well in their testing in modern which leads me to believe that that's the same conclusion wizards came to which means lackeys probably in there and i would guess that goblins is a sub theme and that you're going to get um two three modern playable goblins that make goblins that much better and even if that never becomes a tier one deck it will lurk on the fringes because people will want to either revisit for some of the older players the nostalgia of playing goblins in a highly competitive format or um 
you know, newer players will just latch on to some of these hot new goblins like Lackey and, you know, explore the joys of putting a siege gang commander into play on turn two or whatever. And as a result, I started looking at, you know, what are the cards that they're going to need in that deck as a four of that they can't reprint um, now and that haven't seen a reprint for a while. And I came uh, uh, up to Goblin Pile Driver foils from uh, Magic Origins sitting around cheaply at like five bucks. Um, if Goblins is even remotely more popular after Modern Horizons, I can't see how Pile Driver stays under 10. Uh, yeah, this card is insane. And we did get it in Origins, which was a couple years ago, but. That was, you know, supplies going to be it's modest. Yeah, not not excellent because Origins was quite a while ago at this point. And I agree, like Goblin Piledriver is the first card people are going to go to if they give you more goblins because this thing is just such a beating so fast. Yeah, for, for people that don't know, this thing has protection from blue and gets plus two, plus zero for each other goblin when it's on the attack. So in a go- explosive goblin deck, it can be attacking for seven on like turn three or whatever. Um, so is your thing does a lot of is damage. your position to buy these now or are you kind of saying keep an eye on modern horizons and if we see goblins show up then you know to go get pile driver i've been thinking through the themes that we don't have any information on that just make perfect sense in modern horizons and i feel like goblins is very well positioned to be included because there's nothing comboy or broken or like really hard to parse in terms of how good it is so they just basically had to throw the best goblin decks from legacy together test them against the modern decks in their internal gauntlet and then have you know guys like tom ross that were working on the design team go yeah this this is really this is stronger but it's not going to break the format so let's just do it um i I hope that horizons is layered so that like maybe their red green draft archetype or like the archetype in the set is like you know beat down of some sort right like like there there's a greater red green strategy than just goblins but as part of that strategy they're able to seed a goblin or two and maybe the green black yeah. archetype is mm-hmm. some other archetype that has nothing to do with elves but it gives them an opportunity to sneak one or two elves in so they can kind of support these various arc like tribal synergies or whatever while also supporting these greater strategies and archetypes that are bringing more cards in the format we'll see how it goes it could yes. be a really great really great format for that but so i think pile driver is one of these picks where it's like if you believe that goblins make sense in horizons then you just go ahead and dive in on some pile drivers like you don't have to go super deep because you don't have enough information to and it's not a tipping point card this is not a card that's in ultra short supply it's in modest supply versus potential future demand three months from now so this is not where you want to plow a thousand dollars in um this is where you buy two three play sets call it a day and then see if your hunch paid off um yeah so that's basically what i did okay all right um so wrapping up serum powder we talked about uh it uh the copies going to like three and five respectively i think the ima copies around three or four dollars are set to hit ten really the thing the thing about gemstone caverns and serum powder is that the decks that want to sculpt hands want to do so irrespective of color or strategy you know what i'm saying like we're see, already seeing these cards show up in a, in a very disparate set of decks. And as a result, if that mulligan rule survives the testing uh, in London and is released on the masses globally, then Gemstone Caverns and Serum Powder are going to be extremely popular cards for some period of time. And then there's going to be a feedback period where people will figure out if they're too good 
under that mulligan and maybe the mulligan gets rolled back from modern or something um but you can lean into the hype as it builds towards people playing with that mulligan and probably do pretty well yeah i i will say that I don't doubt whatsoever that this mulligan rule improves combo decks like that's very much clear, but I don't think at the same time that it's going to be a deluge of combo decks all of a sudden like it's not going to make dredge three times better, right? It's not going to triple how good the deck is. It improves the edges because you're still only comes up if you're mulliganing basically which like isn't every hand anyway so i i guess my point is i i don't want people to think that this is going to like change the face of modern and all these combo decks are going to become huge all of a sudden and these cards are all going to go skyrocketing because a quarter of the rooms on dry half the rooms on dredge and half the rooms on i don't know whatever whoever plays the other deck gorio's vengeance but, 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 I think but, it's more, but I think that it's, doesn't mean that it won't get some good camera time and that the cards won't spike when people get kind of excited about it in the moment. See, what I think is going to happen is there's going to be 14 different ways to build around those eight cards, gemstone and, and serum powder. Most of them won't get there consistently enough. Some of them will post 5-0 lists, but never top eight. And then two or three of them will just start top eighting on a semi-regular basis. And even if it's just one of them top eighting on a semi-regular basis, it still makes those cards... They're already in short supply yeah. because there's already been a hype spike on these like just now. And there's no resupply point. The serum powder can be resupplied from Iconic Masters, but, but nobody's going to be cracking boxes of that looking for that card. So the that means, you know, it's not a $50 card. It's a $5 yeah. card. You don't crack boxes for $5 cards. So I think that you're going to get this two or three month window where people are writing articles about how these cards are freshly interesting in the format and and all sorts of streamers will be covering various lists that use them. And that's going to be enough to get you there. Your, your dream scenario is probably people showing up to London and have because that's modern, right? Yeah, yep. people showing up and it turns out that like seven different teams brought seven different decks that are all essentially trying to accomplish the like ultra goldfish that also has serum vision serum powder as the you know the backup plan of making your combo more consistent people look at this and go wow okay so it doesn't really matter which build is the best clearly they all believe that just trying to turn to each other is the best strategy well and the pros love a pro tour where they get to outplay other groups of pros by leveraging experience and the like week they for the the best teams the top tier teams the ones that get to spend a week in a house together leveraging the endless refinement and discussion process around various aspects of of new twists on old decks or brand new decks right like the teams that like get to put sam black in a corner and he shows them 20 lists and then convinces two of them to try to run this new serum powder gemstone caverns build that top aids is going to be the you know that's going to be the moment where these are just going to take off even yeah. harder um, and there's going to be no going back for the foreseeable future, right? Like that's just, you're going to get plenty of room to run on that hype. Now, on the other hand, if they test that mulligan out and you don't get out before they decide the mulligan isn't good for modern and they make an audible that's not going to be played in modern, um, which it doesn't sound like they want to do, but it's not impossible, uh, then you could get stuck holding. So you definitely want to, you know, measure your exit here and not get too greedy. Yeah. All right. What's your last one? Um, Quick note on Serum Powder, the foils for IMA are close to about 20. These could easily hit 40, the foils and there is of the non-foils. Um, and they're already in very short supply. 
Okay. Uh, final pick. This one we've talked about before. Um, and I, I, okay. I was surprised we hadn't talked about it recently. Panharmonicon foils were awesome. Seven, eight, ten, twelve dollars. Right now they're sitting at fifteen, but they are near a tipping point. Um, this is your last chance to get on the Panharmonicon gravy train. I think you snap up every foil you can find in, say, the thirteen to fifteen dollar range, leveraging coupons. You know the cool stuff: five percent off coupon, et cetera, et cetera. And you just settle in for six to twelve months and wait till these are thirty. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm basically not going to tell you Panharmonicons are bad until they're twenty dollars to buy in. Cal- uh, Kaladesh, because it was artifact themed, which means it fit so many of its cards, fit in so many decks because they don't have any color requirements, um, has tons of cards that are big in Commander. But the biggest is Panharmonicon at 17,000 decks logged on EDH Rec. Yeah, that is a lot of decks. That is a lot of decks. Which means there are ten, literally tens of thousands of players that buy that are playing or are, are going to be playing this card in now and in the future. And it's not due for a reprint yet. It's probably got another couple of years. So these foils could easily hit 30 to 40 I think before you, there's any danger. I think you might see the, uh, the it, non-foil in a commander deck. Okay. Yeah. Is this, you've got this marked as a non-foil. This is supposed to be foil though, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the foils are definitely in good shape. Non-foils give me a little bit of pause, but the foils definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I could just change it from an N to a Y. So now we're okay. Yeah. The the non-foils are, as you said, like they are at the right price point to see get reprinted in a commander deck and whoever buys that deck be happy about it to get a get a Panharmonicon that's a five dollar card or whatever at the time. Um but that's the best of all worlds if you're holding foils because then you're getting additional years for the foils to build up. Yeah. All right. Segment three, our metagame we can review Grand Prix Los Angeles, uh modern event taken down by is it phoenix some some fun decks in here uh, i see harden modular took both second place and uh third to fourth we saw two dredges uh a death shadow another is it phoenix popped in uh so all sorts of fun stuff going on um those uh those hardened scales definitely definitely looking tasty so terramander just wanted modern gp is it phoenix was running two terramanders Wait, where did my terror? So that means oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it that won one. it won a pro tour and and a GP back in in two different formats back to back. Yeah, this is frankly not surprising at all. And I wanted to pick Terramander foils like really quickly, uh, but it was already like fifteen dollars. There was no window that you could get in on these. But this doesn't surprise me at all. It's it's possibly a better Delver, um, because it starts with flying. It's probably a better Delver in formats that don't have Brainstorm because it starts with flying, which means you can begin attacking with it immediately and you can get that down to a really cheap adapt pretty fast. I mean, like one thought scour and like a serum visions and this thing is already down to like three mana. Yeah. And the thing is that one of the debates we've been having in the pro trader uh, discord is whether Arclight Phoenix is an uh, the most obvious spec of the century or one of the most dangerous on the plus side. It's everywhere. It's top tier, modern, very solid in legacy doing well in standard. Um, to me, it looks like the closest thing we've had to a snapcaster mage in a while. 
However, there are challenger decks coming up for standard that haven't their lists haven't been announced yet. It's possible Phoenix shows up there as a one of. They might skip it entirely because usually the challenger decks are used to sell last year's cards that are rotating in the fall um, to give dealers enough time to sell the singles before they introduce the cheap standard deck. Um, and Arclight Phoenix thereby would be more due for a challenger deck next year as opposed to this year. But it could still set, show up there as some kind of blue-red build. Um, there's also the possibility that Faithless, Faithless Looting catches a ban sometime in, in the next six months that is just determined to be too good of an enabler in the format that there are too many decks that are taking advantage of getting cards into the graveyard quickly and consistently and as we said if they go that route it doesn't necessarily break all of the decks that use it but it might knock them down enough tiers that they you know fall off the top eight list yeah yeah i i this card concerns me so remember when this was two dollars this is two dollars it was pretty ridiculous. But I look at this card now, knowing how popular it is, knowing how pervasive it is, and it still doesn't look like that amazing of a card to me. Like some cards you go back and you read and you're like, oh, how did we not realize this? But I don't think Arclight Phoenix reads all of that well. So I guess my point being that, well, A, I don't feel bad about not having bought them at $2 because it still doesn't look that great. But B it seems like it wouldn't take much for this to really lose ground. Um, like pulling faithful suiting on the, out of the format might really screw it. Um, it also feels like it's might be kind of in a death shadows place right now where we're getting that couple months where it's just really flooding formats and then metagames will adapt and it will recede to like a tier two deck still very good, but mm, Paying $30 for a standard legal card just makes my skin crawl. I, I, oh, I, you know, I could see this being $60. Like, there is a world in which that exists. I'm still not comfortable yeah. buying this card at 30 I think it is way too risky given how many other choices you have. You, you see the faithless looting problem as being the primary risk? I see it as one risk, frankly. I think there are a variety of risks. I think one of them is a Axe Faithless Looting or something else in the format that enables a strategy. Another one is that the metagame just adapts like it did with Death Shadow, and the deck goes from being amazing to decent. Another one is they print something that invalidates this you know, the card altogether or people move on because this other card is just a little more interesting. So it just seems like there's a variety of scenarios that arise in which Arclight Phoenix just sort of, it's still good. Like it's still fine, but not $60. So if I was designing a mechanic for modern horizons that I thought solved a bunch of problems, it would be something like, bad name but call it grave digger well, i thought you were going to have it lined up there for us i'm leaving that yeah, pause I, I was considering <laughs> considering whether it mattered what the name is and it doesn't so it's just like one red do two damage to a target and incidentally remove two cards from a graveyard and it just has like it's it's called grave digger grave digger and it has a value so it can be grave digger one grave digger two grave digger three grave digger four and that's how many cards you get to remove from a graveyard. And you put that incidentally on a bunch of good spells that are playable in modern anyway, like a bolt variant, like a slightly worth path to exile, like a slightly worse serum visions, etc. And you then you try to build up a critical mass of staples that keep the graveyard slightly more in check. 
so that they can't as consistently access the resources that are that they're putting in their graveyard. And that might be the solution as opposed to bannings. And I think that that's the kind of thing that people need to get their heads around with Modern Horizons is that they have this new tool. They don't necessarily need to ban when they can print. Now, not every every problem can be solved with tactical printing. Sometimes it's just cleaner to ban something that's an obvious problem. Like you're not going to fix, I don't know, treasure crews and dig through time um, with with tactical sideboard cards or or conditional responses. You sometimes the card's just too powerful. But if you have a plethora of graveyard strategies and you don't want to wreck all the decks simultaneously, it might be wiser to just build up incidental hate against that that entire zone of the game as opposed to you know trying to build a slightly better relic of progenitus which is entirely possible they could just do that right like they could just print a new must-have artifact for sideboards where if it's in your hand you can reveal it to remove two cards from a graveyard or something and then you play pay one to play it tap remove a card from a graveyard or something like that they could easily do yeah there are a bunch of ways they could go with it they could print like a shock that uh, I don't think we have one, a shock that exiles creatures um, and effects of that nature. So I agree that any of this sort of incidental hate um, that like is good enough to generally see play otherwise, but also happens to hammer on cards like this and um, Vengevine or, 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 you know, prize Malcolm, whatever is certainly a possibility and a generally a, a good type of card to print anyways, because if the ability isn't relevant, it might fall out of favor. Uh, and if it is relevant, it's not so relevant as to completely dominate and suppress decks of that nature, but it's potent enough to certainly keep them in check type of thing. So I, I don't know if we're going to get it, but I agree that something along those lines that they can, you know, apply here and there certainly makes life a lot tougher if you want to play cards that use a graveyard that hard at the same time i remember a lot of people selling me their snapcaster mage foils in the like 40 50 60 dollar range at rotation maybe even as low as 30 and then selling out of them like six months later at like 80 dollars so there's definitely risk associated with arc light phoenix but if you go back to when we last picked this card episode 146 um, I called this, this was December 3rd of 2018. Arclight Phoenix Foils called it 25 to go to 50. Bingo. Uh, mm-hmm. Our friends at Cool Stuff Inc. have the foils li- listed at $55. Uh, which they changed ahead of this cast just so that you could make that point with our new sponsorship. But otherwise, yes, it was, it was a good shot. <laughs> so so it's it's funny though, right? Because 10 weeks ago or whatever... I was calling the foils at 25. Now I'm I'm considering calling the non-foils at 25. Yeah. That's, it's just the card's just doing that well. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't disagree whatsoever that it's on fire. I'm just I I, I, I it just makes my skin crawl paying that much money for something like this. I, I I'm happy to leave the money on the table, but maybe All you're right, not. Maybe our listeners are more aggressive and I won't fault anyone for going that route it's just riskier than i care to be when i called the foils i bought foils still holding um i bought some non-foils about three weeks ago because it just kept popping up now that they're looking for like cool stuff wants 32 for non-foils 
you can still find them in and around late twenties here and there. Um, probably sit out the next round, but definitely keep my eye to see, you know, on preview season for modern horizons and the results at pro tour London. If it, has three or four faithless looting driven Phoenix decks in a top eight at London, I think you've got a problem and that could be a sell signal. Um, all right, so let's move on. We've, we've skirted around this issue the whole time. Modern horizons was announced. I, I uh, this, this, <laughs> this product announcement just, all right. All right. Before we even get into the content here, just the timing of this bewilders me, right? Okay. Yeah. So you have, yeah. they had, I really just cannot wrap my head around this. It is May. So they announced this on like the, the end of February. They said, we're pr- putting out this product. Here's two spoiler cards, two, not like eight, not a, not a taste of the mechanics, not an idea of the archetypes. Here's two cards, right? The name of the set and a little bit of information about it. Guess when you get to buy this? Four months, right? It's like mid-May or something like that. No, June. It's the June set. So you have to wait four months before you can buy it. Three, three, three months, but three yes. months. Okay. Why are you telling me now? Like what is, I guess, what are you trying to accomplish? Knowing that you have War of the Spark spoilers starting in like two weeks. So now I'm like, wait, am I supposed to be excited about Modern Horizons or am I supposed to be excited about War of the Spark? And now War of the Spark comes up. So I'm starting to get jazzed about that. And I forgot about Modern Horizons. I don't care about Modern Horizons anymore. I'm curious about War of the Spark and Planeswalkers at Uncommon. And then that's going to come out. But then you're going to make me watch a pro tour for war of the spark before those cards are available where they're playing modern reminding me that modern horizons is coming out, which seems like a really good venue to do modern Horizons spoilers, but it won't the pro tour itself won't matter because yet that entire modern format changes irrevocably and significantly 30 days later with the release of modern horizons, which I've, I, I can't, I cannot figure yeah. out what they yeah, were doing with this release schedule such it, it's very strange timing it's strange timing the way they handled it they built it really big up like they brought cash's marsh marsh in to sit down with matt nass and two of the guys and wizards and made, built up this whole hype train if there, showed us two cards wait, if there's, and, and, the cards, if there's, and the cards are cool if there's anyone you want selling you the idea of a strong balanced healthy modern format it's matt nass <laughs> who, who <laughs> most whose most recent claim to fame in modern is winning two GPs with a deck that was banned immediately after. Well, and they covered that. And and honestly, I saw his inclusion as a nod to how pow, like the power level of this set. I if I'm putting Matt Nass in that seat instead of like whoever, LSV or whatever, um, you know, somebody who's more camera friendly, just generally, then <laughs> the message I'm sending, the message I'm sending is this set is going to be the kind of set this guy wants to play. It's going to be a bunch of like crazy new interactions for the format, all sorts of new deck design options. You know, they're, they're going to go to the wall with this because, and and one of the reasons I think that they're going to give us, you know, a to the wall set surprisingly good in, in it's without a lot of similarities with ultimate masters is they're going to charge us a bunch of money for this set. So we, we we guessed this was going to be priced like uh, a modern master set, and indeed, it is. It the word on the street is that wholesale costs are going to be like in the one eighty ish range, one sixty one eighty, depending on you know how like who you're talking about, whether it's Star City or small vendor X in Illinois or whatever. 
Um, and that means that these boxes online are probably going to be 180 to 200 at at best, and that retail locally is going to be like 200 to 240, 250, 260, depending on how much of the withholder game they're going to play. Because what we've seen before with certain sets um, and ancillary sets is that sometimes the first wave is deliberately uh, shorted so that it seems like it's selling out everywhere and becomes hard to come by and people get very uh, FOMO about it and start chasing after extra boxes, which is what they want us to do. And then like six weeks later, you get another wave of release. This has been termed as not a limited release set, which means that in theory, they could put out another wave at Christmas. And they probably want to. So I would expect I would expect it to follow a pattern similar to Eternal Masters, which was relatively hard to come by at first, then pretty easy to come by, then disappeared. And then at Christmas, we got it again. Um, and then that dried up about a year later and everything's mm-hmm. funny. And there's so many interesting angles with this set because it is as simple as the concept is a new set that includes old reprints that weren't in the format before, plus new cards that are completely new to magic um, that are specifically printed for modern. Easy to wrap your head around that part. But what it means for MGG Finance and for for players and for vendors, I think, is, is worth discussing from a few different perspectives. So I talked earlier about the three opportunities that opens up. You've got the cards they're not going to reprint, like Collected Company and Death Shadow cards you picked this week, because we know there are no reprints from the format, which then opens this huge gap where vendors can reliably um, get aggressive with their buy lists to go after these cards as there's a surge in demand related to this set. And modern get being renewed by all these this influx of new opportunities, these you know players and vendors like can go after these cards with confidence because there's no reprint slot on the horizon. It could the earliest it could be would be a few a handful of reprints in some kind of late summer set, and then maybe maybe they release something towards you know Christmas. But it's also possible, like I said, that we just get more of this set close to Christmas. And if all of 2019 is relatively bereft of modern reprints, then sky's the limit on things like Fetch Lands and Death Shadow and and whatever cards are doing well in the format. Well, really? The now, so uh, go ahead, go ahead. You finish your thought. Let me just finish the other two opportunities to make sure we're all clear. The second one is the new cards, obviously. They're giving us a bunch of new cards, and so trying to parse which ones are good and which ones are bad and which ones are going to be good later, like the Mox Ambers of the set that don't have any like obvious home up front but might get activated, might be plants for stuff they're going to give us with some standard legal set in the fall um, are definitely going to be a big, big deal. And then the other part is, you know, we talked about like beta counter spell. Like it's going to be all the original printings, original foils, earliest printings of cards that are suddenly legal and modern and therefore explode in popularity. Nobody's playing counter spell outside of cube and EDH right now. You don't, you don't really play it in legacy that much. Um, so if it becomes a four of in control decks in modern, it disrupts a whole bunch of other counter spells, could take a slot away from a cryptic command, could take a slot away from stubborn denial, could take a slot away from um, whatever, uh, negate, et cetera, out of sideboards. And so, you know, that's a lot of opportunity from three completely different angles, right? There's, there's so much moving here. Well, you know, I think... 
I want to hit hit it again that I think the most important aspect of this announcement is that there are no reprints of modern legal cards. So like that's a huge deal. And which and your what what you said is it leads into such a humongous opportunity for everything that's already legal in the format. And really, how many venues are left in 2019? You have uh you have whatever war the spark brings us. And generally, there is maybe what zero to two modern, like modern reprints in standard sets, right? I've got Crucible Worlds and M19, and you might get one or two per set. So, but there's pretty low. So, you have War of the Spark, you have this, which we know doesn't include any existing modern cards. This is the summer product. So, there's no Battle Bond or Conspiracy to have several more. Uh, we'll get a I believe we'll get a core set. I, I don't actually know for sure. Did they announce that we're getting a core set this year? Do you know? I don't, but they they made it clear last year that that was yeah. kind of the intent. Like bringing back core was because they're going to do it every year. So I suspect we are getting a core in the late summer, which will be standard legal, okay. which will have a whole bunch of like cards that activate things from War of the yep. Spark, etc. And um, like you said, could have a couple so, of modern reprints. So you've got so you've got War of the Spark, the core set, and the fall set, right? Uh, what else do we have this year? Like you'll get a commander set, but they always, they put almost no modern reprints in the commander sets. So there's actually very few venues left for them to print modern, to do modern reprints in 2019. And we're in March, we're in March. And we know that they don't have a lot of opportunities left. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but there's not that many. There's not a, you know, another set where they can dump 20 of these. So all of these modern legal cards are so tempting. Um, and really, if you wanted to be extremely proactive, and I'm not going to do this, but you can, is go through and say, okay, what do I think are a lot of major archetypes that they could hit? They might want to improve elf. They might want to improve goblins or zombies or dredge or uh storm and you know you kind of sit down and you write out the ideas of like what decks might they try and improve life from the loam decks whatever and then you go okay let's do, let me take a look at the existing deck right now the existing strategies and and what might be what card in there is the best bet if this suddenly gets good what's unlikely to be replaced and invalidated and what's likely to and, and you know that it is that card well positioned to, to buy up, and then you kind of have your list ready, and then when you start looking to spoilers, you go, okay, they did go after elves. Here's the card I think is going to be good in elves now, uh, or or what have you, and it kind of gives you a starting point because it's going to be so much is going to come so fast when these spoilers eventually hit that we are going to be really trying to figure out how it matters because it's not like you're getting one or two cards that are going to have ripples. I mean, it's just blowing modern up. So you're got, it's going to be so hard to figure out what's going to be good. And at least having a feel for where you want to go at the outset is going to be helpful. The level of chaos is truly unprecedented. As you said, most modern cards appear as two ofs in standard sets. Guilds of Ravnica had something like five relevant modern cards. Um, and that's a lot. Like that's a lot for a standard set. And even then, when it you know when it was just that double handful or whatever, people had trouble identifying great cards. We're talking about Arclight Phoenix for ten minutes on this cast as to whether it's the next Snapcaster Mage. The week that that was revealed, no one, almost none of the pros picked up on it as a relevant card for Modern and Legacy, because casting three spells just seemed like such a hurdle. And even the people that said, "Well, you can cast three spells relatively easily," didn't get to the next hurdle, which is 
And if I could cast three spells, the thing I would want to be doing would be Arclay Phoenix. Yeah. So if that's how much people uh, misinterpret and, and misevaluate cards in the simplest of circumstances, what happens when they give you out of a 240 something odd card set or 250 plus cards, um, if 150 of them are new and in standard sets, usually you get to ignore most of the commons and uncommons. But in this set, you probably can't do that because it's designed for modern. So there's, of course, going to be tons of filler because it's still designed as a limited format. It's going to be drafted. The uh, One of the major GPs that's going to be running it is basically sealed with this set. or No, draft. They're doing drafts, not sealed with Modern Horizons. Um, so it's designed to be drafted. So, of course, there has to be limited filler in there, which is cute for modern, but not necessarily high-level playable. But there's still going to probably be, let's say that only 20% of the set is actually relevant in the end of the format. That is still adding 50 new cards to the format. Mm -hmm. And how many of those are going to disrupt the top 100? 5, 10, 15, 20? We don't know. But I can tell you this much. The other part people are going to completely get wrong is that they're going to bitch and moan about how much the set costs without understanding that this could be one of the best values that Wizards has ever offered. And here's why. It's going to be, let's say, about the same cost as a master set. You end up paying, on average, say 200 bucks. I might be on the ball and get mine for 160 170 Somebody else might walk into their LGS, try to support them, give them 240 It's going to, That's going to be the range. But you're getting 36 packs instead of 24. So you're getting more packs than you got in the master set, but 50% more. Um, same as a standard set. Um, but you're not getting a guaranteed foil in every pack. So you're losing the pack for the thing. Did they confirm which, they're not doing it? Yeah, they're not doing that. Uh, they didn't. They didn't mention it, but they would have mentioned it had it been uh, something that they were doing. And the if there's no uh, foil in every pack, then that means that pack foils are that much better long term because there's less of them. And it also means that. One of the things we've talked about a lot, just to sidestep for a second, is how a standard set, a, a, a rare or a mythic in a standard legal set, can only get to be so expensive before the EV of the box gets too high and vendors just start uh, cracking boxes and releasing product into the market until the EV comes back to match the cost it would take them to crack and process the boxes. That the the room for the EV to expand and contract is much greater when you're talking about a $240 box than it is with a $100 box. It means that if something jumps out off the page as truly the next Snapcaster Mage, like it's just some incredible card that everybody knows is the highest power card in the set right off the bat, it's just so obvious it's great. Something like a Fatal Push, a Snapcaster Mage, uh, not an Arclight Phoenix, but like an Assassin's Trophy, something that nobody misinterprets as anything less than powerful up front. Those cards can be $40, $50, $60 Mythics right out of the gate. And they can hold that price if a bunch of the other stuff in the set is perceived to be not that great because there's so much leeway when the cost of the box is so high. The having that higher, you're right. Having that higher price gives it so much more room to breathe as it is. You know that that maybe thirty percent, twenty percent margin on the price on a standard box. It's it's so much less than it would be on a box that costs this this much money. I 
this is going to be wild. I mean, really like unprecedented amount yep. of change and impact. Like it's hard. It was just going to be, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. It's going to essentially the biggest shakeup to modern in the, in modern prices since modern, like it, just since yes. modern. I, I think that's true. And and I think it's, I, and I think it's interesting. Anybody who's been on this silly uh, crusade on social media over the last couple of months that Wizards is trying to kill paper or whatever, just put that argument back in the closet and pretend you never brought it to the table. Because this set represents completely the opposite. As we discussed last week, this set is brilliant in the sense that it allows them to sell new product into a format that was previously mostly about sing- second uh, level sales via singles at the LGS level. Um. This lets them sell into modern the way they do into standard, which fulfills all of their objectives. They make a bunch of money on it. Everyone's happy. Like, I guarantee you the set is going to be just full of good cards. They have no reason to hold back because in a master set, they they were trying to be judicious with how they distributed the reprint equity. They do not have to worry about reprint equity when they're dealing with a shit ton of new cards in the set. Yeah. Right? They can just print a bunch of new cards and it doesn't matter how many great cards they give you because it's the set's only going to do better and better and better. And since they went through the design process anyway, and that was one of the other things, right? Master sets were, de- were um, designed as compilations of old cards that would be good for limited play. They would also just have enough stuff to sell the set, but they knew that they had that reprint equity to, to manage, but they don't have to worry about... Um, any of those things with a set full of new cards is just not relevant in the slightest because they have some reprint equity issues with like the long-term horizons two, horizons three horizons four because there aren't actually that many old cards like cards outside of modern that are worth bringing in and so as they get further and further down the road they'll probably have to lean heavier and heavier on um uh, new cards or they could end up doing a like modern horizons two or three could be a mix of everything it could be some reprints some new cards some never before cards in the format and that will do well too and and since we know that they brought in people like tom ross and other pros to work on this set and they were play testing uh they were being some of those guys were being cheeky on social media last week talking about when the play design team won the vsl uh, the Vintage Super League um, appearance that they made, like, I don't know when that was, six months, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, something like that. Um, they said they were playing a lot of modern, ref- alluding to the fact that they play tasted, play tested the shit out of the modern format as it was understood to be relevant when they were designing Modern Horizons. Um, so expect a ton of cool cards. However, one of the interesting side notes is they didn't know how important Arclight Phoenix was going to be for modern. I bet you they didn't test that. No. So the, the modern they were testing is probably like 30 or 40% different than the modern that actually exists now that modern horizons is being printed into. And so that means that they're going to screw up. There's going to be cards that end up too good. There's going to be cards that end up not good enough. There's going to be cards that activate wacky strategies. They did not see coming because when you add this many variables into the equation, the equation gets too hard to track. Yep. And all of that just means 
nothing but opportunity. Like all I hear is cha-ching, 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 because there's almost no way to screw this up. Whether which whichever one of the three paths of opportunity you choose, or however you mix and match them, or whether you're just looking for to get in cheap on these cards to build your own modern collection, all of that's going to work out. Oh, this is just, there's so much here, but I'm going to tell you, we got to bring this to a close. It's getting late and this is not the first, certainly will not be the first time we discuss Modern Horizons. I have a feeling we're going to be returning to this over and over and over again all this year. So we will, we will save more of this until next time. Uh, James, where can our listeners find you? As per usual, you guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com, including the recently posted New Horizons, What Modern Horizons Means for MTG Finance in 2019. All right. And I am Travis Allen. I'm on twi- Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, and I write for MTG Price every Monday doing the Watchtower series. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering, as well as access to the absolutely on fire Pro Trader Discord, um, which is constantly busy um we just launched a couple of new uh channels in that discord one is for people to report their humble brags about how their specs have gone so that other people can get uh sell signals that they might want to actualize um the other one is a channel dealing with uh predictions as to what will actually show up in modern horizons and we've got a very good and uh thorough list building up in there that should give you some perspective on what to expect. All right. A lot of exciting stuff in there. I agree. Uh, you could spend all day in there working through what people are talking about if you were so inclined. All right. Uh, I, well, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored. I got to use this change. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic Together and single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. And But that's not all. Oh, okay. Cool Stuff is so awesome. They are also giving us a $25 coupon per week oh. uh, to give away to our pro traders. Um, and this is going to go to anyone who is hanging out in the pro trader discord when we are recording the cast. When are we recording the cast, you ask? You have no idea. So you better just hang out there all the time and help each other out, making and saving money on Magic the Gathering. This week, we're going to give it to user Mastodon. Mastodon, you've won a $25 gift certificate from CoolStuffInc.com, our fantastic sponsor. And that brings us to the end of the MTG Fast Finance podcast for the week. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode. (laughs) 